He is the Zen master of fantasy baseball, and he joins us here today. We'll talk with Lore Michaels from Creative Sports and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Thursday, March the 8th. It's show number four of the 2017 fantasy baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Thursday show for you. We'll talk with Lore Michaels, the fantasy Zen master from Creative Sports and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, about his expert mock drafts and real drafts, about some over- and undervalued players he's been writing about, his weekly audio show, and his 2018 Boons and Banes. Yeah, we changed the name. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at Adam Eaton, Jonathan Villar, and more. And from the American League, Jock Thompson looks at Garrett Richards, Blake Swihart, Ichiro, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, in the Minor League Minute. Baseball HQ Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon reports on two Cardinals right-handers, Alex Reyes and Jack Flaherty. In our frequent flyer commentary, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Baltimore outfielder Austin Hayes. And in our continuing position previews, Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick looks at middle infielders. Later in the show, I'll have our weekly Talk with Todd, asking Todd Zola about Tampa's newfangled four-starter, four-reliever rotation. And finally, in Master Notes, I'll be talking about percentage ratio outcomes for batters. It's another big Thursday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Shohei Otani stepped into the batter's box in spring training against Clayton Kershaw. Strike three. We got to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Thursday edition, part one of our interview with our feature guest expert, Lore Michaels, the fantasy Zen master from Creative Sports and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Lore, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Well, thank you, Patrick. You know, even if it's not the radio, I always have a good time talking with you. And right back at you, uh, before we start talking about fantasy baseball, I'd like to uh, briefly mention we had some very sad news on the weekend of uh, the labor drafts. Uh, Our mutual friend and a longtime figure in fantasy baseball, Steve Moyer, passed away suddenly in Los Angeles. I know Steve was a friend of yours, a a co-founder of your music website. Uh, I imagine this news must have come as a a great shock and disappointment to you. It was a great shock, and I, I just to correct, I, I originally hit because I was sort of ended up being the center point for information. And originally, I was told he was in Los Angeles, but actually, he had already gotten to Phoenix. He 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 never went to L.A., but he flew into Phoenix to take care of some business, like on Wednesday, and unfortunately passed away in his hotel Thursday. We were all we were all waiting to hear from him, and uh, I got a, a message that his girlfriend and family they hadn't heard from him in a few days, and they were worried, and they didn't know how to track him down. So it came to me through the remnant site, actually. So I started putting out the feelers, and, and I don't know if it was good or not, but um, I mean, we I knew he was unaccounted for, but you, you know, it had only been a day, and you try not to think of stuff like that, and. Steve could be obstinate, you know. He was a he was he was a, a very 
iconoclastic and if if he was mad and didn't want to talk to you, he was mad and he didn't want to talk to you. So it could, we we thought, oh, he's just being mad and doesn't want to talk to us. And uh, um, unfortunately, we were mistaken. Uh, and it it hit us all pretty hard. It, it it's it's a big loss. Um, he's also the first kind of core member of the community. If if we got, I've known him for twenty five years. I wrote for John Benson with him. Uh, you know, it, it goes back a long ways to Rick Wolf and to the origins of the fantasy industry as we know it today. And for those of us who have been, you know, it's like losing any friend that you've known intimately for 25 years, only he has the distinction of kind of being the first one of that core community to leave us. And I don't think we were expecting that yet. I, I, thought, I think we all thought... A, we all thought we were younger than that, and B, you know, my, uh, my, my life has been checkered with bad health. I always figured it'd be me anyway. So, anyway, it was, uh, it was very tough. I'm still trying to get my arm. We're all still trying to get our arms around it and our heads around it because it doesn't, you know, as with always, this stuff doesn't make any sense. The thing that struck me when I heard the sad news about Steve was that uh, he was a participant in a lot of experts' drafts, of course, uh, the uh, labor, tout wars, he played in the XFL with you guys, and uh, people who followed the experts' leagues would have known Steve by, by that, but uh, beyond that, he was probably not as, as well-known in the baseball and fantasy baseball communities as perhaps he should have been, because he was quite an innovator, especially in the area of these advanced stats. He, he's been given a lot of credit for being the first guy to say, why aren't we tracking these balls as as pitch-by-pitch and hit-ball-by-hit-ball hit events? And uh, that insight basically led to the formation of Baseball Info Solutions, which is still an important provider of data that we use to this very day. Steve was, a, Steve was quite an uh, interesting mind uh, over and above uh, the participation that he did in these drafts. He was, and even before that, he worked with Stats with John uh, John Duan. You know, founded Stats Inc. too, and and Steve worked at Stats as well, doing similar things with with strikes and pitches, uh, strikes and balls, uh, <clears throat> and 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 trying to delineate kind of stuff. That he started the kind of stuff that that Eno Saris, when Eno Saris looks at, at at spin rate and things like that, now the stuff that Steve pioneered made it so that the next generation could look at those at those things. And he also was big, um, even though it didn't impact fantasy so much. Um, he was very big on, on on the fielding bible and fielding ranges and uh, and and getting to the ball. And I mean, that's a lot of what has precipitated the the shift. Excuse me. These days, so you're you're absolutely right. He, if he, you could easily look at the list of Tatworth participants and wonder who's he, and the answer is, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be looking at the numbers the way we do these days. And I should say that a lot of people in the fantasy baseball business and in the baseball business uh, left comments uh, in memoriam at rockremnants.com, the music site that you started along with Steve and a couple of uh, other of our friends. And one of those, uh, I read them all, of course, and they were very uh, heartwarming. But the one that uh, jumps out at me uh, I'd like you to share is a story about a Tout Wars draft way back in the early days, which I don't know, something must have gone wrong or I don't know exactly what happened. But you guys ended up holding the draft in Steve's basement. How'd that work? That was my first Tout Wars. And for some reason, <clears throat> it was in 2001, it was, it was his, ba- I can't remember if it was specifically a basement or a rumpus room or a basement that got turned into a rumpus room. Um, it was a nice little room, though. He had a, I had a beer tap in there, and, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was very comfortable and cozy. John Coleman was the, uh, 
was the uh, the um, auctioneer, and so that's how far back it goes. But yeah, we were all it was it was a, a dark little room, and uh, and but but you know we were all crammed in there. It was fun, you know. It was a lot more like kind of your original home league draft that right, you would do thinking, yeah. than 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 better for better or worse tout wars or labor i'm not i'm not complaining but you know we fly into tout wars now and and it's it's obviously a big deal in the industry and there's media coverage and stuff like this this was 20 years ago that didn't you know the the only media coverage was kind of like you'd cover a star trek convention and wonder why these people came out of their basements to to to, to bid on, on this particular weekend? So, uh, but but uh, yeah, uh, that was my first that was my first Tout Wars draft in Steve's basement, and I ended up riding with Tony Blangino, who subsequently became a scout for the Brewers and then the Mariners. I remember us riding over there together, and Steve and Tony and I had knew each other because we'd all written for John Benson in the in the early nineties. So. Again, that's how far back this stuff tracks. Well, uh, Steve Moyer, a, a very, uh, a very fine baseball mind, and uh, a really nice guy. Once you got to know him, and uh, uh, certainly, uh, um, you said an iconoclastic sort of guy as well. And uh, I know that uh, he was he was fun to discuss things with because even if he disagreed with you, he would uh, he would give you a, a, an earful of his position. But he was always respectful of your of your position as well. Although it sometimes could get fairly heated. Uh, he and I had some real knockdown dragouts uh, over beers talking about uh, pop music and rock music he had very defined tastes and he didn't agree with mine very much i have to say but uh, I, I know uh, i guess the best thing you can say about anybody who passes away uh, as far as a tribute is i'm gonna miss him he was fierce and he was loyal and he loved his friends and just because he was arguing with you didn't mean he didn't like you or anything um and and, and uh, in fact he i think he almost relished that you would take on a contrary position because that gave him even more meat to argue, and and that really spurred him on. I think so. And and again, I'm not saying this in an evil way. It's just the way he was, and we all knew it. And you know, you you accept your friends and you love your friends for, especially as you get older, for who they are and what they are. And I, I would hope at least my friends take this into account with respect to me that they love me despite my my flaws and my faults. Uh, you know, that 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 that's part of you know, the accepting, uh, acceptance of other human beings. Well said, Laura. We will be, uh, we will all miss Steve Moore, I'm sure. Uh, Steve was a member of a lot of experts drafts, Laura, and I know you participated in a fair number in late February of this year. You participated, and this caught me a bit off guard, a 12-team mixed head-to-head draft. And I, I've known you for a while. I've never heard of you playing head-to-head. How often in the past have you played the format? Well, I, I played years ago, um, actually, in an old John Benson league that was uh, a Bill James league. That actually, we should mention that too. Steve worked worked with Bill James and for Bill James, so yeah. his name should be linked with that. But yeah, I played I played in a stats league. I, I'm not sure. I can't remember if Steve was in that league or not with Charlie Wiegert and again Tony Blangino. Um, so I was I, I, I played that format before, and I also play Stratomatic and I also play Score Sheet, which are sort of quasi head to head um but i like i just like to play different formats anyway um i think i think you can learn things playing four by four that will help you playing five by five i think you can learn things playing five by five that can help you playing head to head 
I think you could learn things playing head to head that help you play DFS better. I think, I think it felt, they all filter or they all present the opportunity to filter or point to uh, little tricks or secrets in other formats, and it, it, it's like learning a lot of languages. You know, or if you learn all the romance languages, all of a sudden, the, the you know the notion that well, well, romance isn't good here, but I was thinking Germanic then. You know, knowing that Darth Vader translates to Dark Father, all of a sudden makes total sense. And and I think I think we have a tendency to to, to forget about that things like that. Well, you mentioned the, the the idea that these various formats can influence other formats. Uh, I was thinking about in particular with this 12-team league, not only is it, is it mixed head-to-head, which means it's a pretty shallow format, but you also had uh, limited rosters, nine hitters, seven pitchers on the active rosters, and I'm sure that must have had some effect on how you select players, how you value players, and how you build your roster. How, how did that work for you? It does, because they, you know, they, they restrict you. You get, like, three outfielders. You get, you know, a shortstop and one catcher. Uh, you get seven started. You get seven, uh, I think it's seven pitchers, five starting pitchers, and two relief pitchers. So you can't, you can't take seven starting pitchers. You're uh, restricted in drafting. Um, and and so, so you do have to kind of pick the cream of the crop on one hand, and I tend to, in head-to-head leagues, go stronger for pitching because you know that that is the even though an everyday player can get you points every day a good pitcher Max Scherzer if Max Scherzer is getting you 17 points every five days as a start on an average that that's that's going to be better than a hitter who's going to get you two points a day over seven days so you definitely strike out pitchers who could be dominant the the Scherzers the Chris Sales the um the, uh, the the Corey Klubers those are those are the primo guys to go for uh, so I try to build around that um, what, but what ends up being funny is uh, I think I don't know if it was that league or the ten I did a ten team also which ten team head to head believe it or not is is the most popular format played right now fantasy ball believe it or not but uh, I think it was a ten team league I actually ended up with Mustakas on my reserve list which is pretty good you yeah. know I mean I can drop him but that's pretty good to have a reserve guy who hit 30 homers, 38 homers last year, and he was going to sign somewhere. Well, the uh, obvious parallel in the uh, in the importance of starting pitching in this head-to-head format is in DFS, where it's a very similar thing. A good outing by a pitcher can be the equivalent of pretty much a, your entire hitting roster. Uh, you raised a few eyebrows in this draft uh, in the aftermath of it by taking Joy Votto with your first pick, even though Paul Goldschmidt was still available, I presume because of the humidor. Uh, Scott White runs the league for CBS, the league sponsor, and in his article he said Goldschmidt's bags should have made him a more valuable pick, but apparently, Laura, you disagreed. Why, uh, why did you take Joey Votto over Paul Goldschmidt? Um, I, well, I, I really like Joey Votto, <clears throat> but uh, I, I like them both, but one of the things, and, and I think we're going to talk about some of this some more, but, uh, and, and I don't know if it's a major glitch or not, but Paul Goldschmidt's batting average last year, uh, second half, dropped 34 points. His OPS dropped 90 points. Uh, his, his, you know, his home runs dropped from 21 to, I think, 15. Uh, his RBI production dropped by 15 or 20. And, and I'm not, you know, everybody has a bad half. There's no question about that. I'm not saying Paul Goldschmidt is not potentially a first-round pick, but if we are going to emphasize, if we like uh, Rafael Devers, if we like 
Reese Hoskins based on the strength of 185 at-bats, then at least we should consider that Paul Goldschmidt had 300 or 260 at-bats during the same time frame that, that, that Reese Hoskins excelled, that, that Goldschmidt dropped a little bit. We have a tendency to ignore or rationalize that as, as it doesn't matter, and yet hype a guy like, um, like Hoskins, and I'm not knocking him, but obviously his, his, his career stat base is only uh, you know, 200 at-bats, whereas Goldie's, Goldie's is longer, but I, 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 I might be shooting my own argument in the foot here but just because of longevity. But anyway, if we're going to pull out two or three months or second, first-half numbers and look at them and think that they trend towards the next half-season, Goldie's was down. And I just was being cautious. You also took part in a mock draft at CBS, a 10-team 5x5 playing standard rules. Uh, this is a very shallow format, 10-team mix. Boy, it's all-star teams across the board, I think. How does that change your draft and roster decisions, if at all? Um, actually, I was looking at that pretty much the same as, the, as I did the head-to-head. Um, you're right. Everybody gets an all-star team. I think that actually is the league that I got Moose uh, Mustakas on my reserve list, along with uh, in, uh, Endar and Ciarte. Who those? Both of those guys, you know, are normal, easy, easy picks in a 12-team head-to-head league. Um, but yeah, everybody gets an all-star team. Again, I, I really focused on pitching then, figuring there was going to be a million hitters around. So if I could really stock up with with, with strikeout-earning dominant pitchers at least that was a good place to come from that I couldn't the chances that uh, th- that I would be able to fill out pitching spots out of the free agent pool as opposed to being able to fill out hitting spots in the free agent pool would seem lesser so I I went that way because it was a mock league lore the league won't be played out how does that fact affect your draft decisions not at all <laughs> I you know I mean I I, I, I and I try to remember, though, you know, and I, maybe Scott thought it was peculiar that I took Votto instead of Goldschmidt, but, and, and, and I've got called on this before, but one of the things I have to remind people is it's a mock draft. It's not for real. The idea of the mock draft is to try things and to play and, 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 and put together lineups that you hadn't normally, at least try to play with the, the, the draft dynamic so that it tells you things that you need to know when drafting for real. So, and I got it, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I got enough leagues. It seems like I can't follow that many more. It's, I'm, 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 I was my hashtag. I am becoming Abe Simpson. I spend a fair amount of time shaking my fist up at the sky, wondering what happened to my spats collection. <laughs> are you going to follow this league at the end of the year? Are you going to check and see how you did, even though you didn't get to manage the roster at all? Probably not. As it is, I think I have somehow, and fortunately, a lot of them are the um, best ball, which is a, a new format that's coming out where essentially you pick your roster and the computer just picks your best lineup for a, on a given day. So I think I'm in 11 or 12 leagues now, which is about five more than I'd like, and those last five are all best balls, so I don't have to do a daily management. I can you know, draft my roster, and the computer will do it for me in a couple times uh, during the season. Uh, there's, there's, I think twice there's waiver transactions, so those kind of things. But stuff that takes a lot of managing, it's, it's, it's hard to remember them all, and, and yeah. plus you end up with, 
you end up, you know, oh boy, Max Scherzer's on the mound. Uh oh, he's facing Chris Davis. I have them both. Now what do yeah. I want? It's a uh, it, it can precipitate that. Not that it's doing me that much good these days. And uh, for fantasy, I'll stick with the American League, and uh, that way I uh, n- never the twain shall meet. I, I even coined a hashtag last year for the industry called Fantaside because I can't even watch my own players. It seems like if I turn on a game where I got Sonny Gray and Sonny Gray is pitching, he will have cruised until the moment that I turn the TV on. And as soon as I turn the TV on, he walks a guy on a questionable call. Somebody hits a, a, a seeing eye single. Somebody hits a ball into the gap. Somebody commits an error, and then somebody hits a three-run homer. And he was fine till I started watching, and then it's he's behind five to nothing because I am the kiss of death. Therefore, fantasize. <laughs> Man, I hear you. Uh, listen, you were also one of the uh, at one of the marquee events among experts drafts uh, last weekend. The Labor uh, American League draft uh, overall. How did your draft go? Did you think? Uh, I don't know. It was a it was an extremely difficult draft. Um, I, I and I'm finding this more and more, especially you know we've all played against each other and we're all trying to sort ourselves through as hitters as pitchers. It was, a, it was a very tough draft. It, it was very draining. I had to concentrate a lot. Um, and I think I came away with an okay team, which, you know, my objective is always just give me a team that can be, you know, if I'm in fifth or sixth place and not by 10, 12 points at the All-Star break, then I did a good job. Um, that means that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm in the mix and I, a good hot streak will put me up in amongst the top teams. So that's what I'm trying to do. I know you're not going to win it on on draft day. It's possible, but it's very difficult. Um, I, I think I like my team. I got pretty good balance. I'm a little light on speed, I think, but and but I went for a lot of hitting, <laughs> a lot, as much hitting as I could get. This is the most hitting heavy team I think I've ever gotten. I was going to say, I've played in leagues with you and will be again a little later on this month, uh, and you've always been a much more pitching heavy uh, player, usually the highest pitching ratio in the draft, and this time uh, not so much. Part of it was that used to work for me, and um, it, apparently things have changed, and it, it doesn't work for me anymore. So, I, and I'm I'm good at cobbling together pitchers. I'm good at spotting. I'm better at spotting pitching, exploiting pitching than I am hitting. I think. So I just thought, well, the thing to do is to give myself the advantage going in by grabbing as much hitting as I can, and hoping that I can manage pitching as the season progresses. And I hope that does it. Well, you mentioned uh, that you didn't go as heavy on pitching as usual, but you did invest fully $25 in closer Craig Kimbrell. What were you thinking there? Um, I targeted him. I, it was 2 bucks more than I, I planned on buy, paying for him, but that was that was a small enough amount. My thought was I was not going to go after a premier starter, a Chris Sale or a Corey Kluber like I normally would. Um, I'd scaled it way down, so I thought I want to make sure that I have the best chance at least to pick up as many saves as I can with at least the best uh, on paper as, as the draft was occurring. I wanted to get the best closer of all of them if I could, and I thought he'd go for about 23, and he went for 25. So I basically snatched him up just to be the core of saves and, and to build around. Good ratios and uh, a lot of strikeouts for a reliever as well. Uh, your only other pitcher in double digits was the aforementioned Sonny Gray of the Yankees, formerly of Oakland, of course. Uh, what did you like about Gray at uh, in double digits? I think thirteen or fourteen. You paid fourteen. I- I've always liked him. He's a, he's a you know he's a good pitcher. He has really good natural 
delivery. So, uh, you know, I'm not expecting him to be plagued with arm problems or anything like that that, that did bother him his last time, at least two years ago before the, uh, when he was in Oakland. Um, but but he, he, he's really good at his ball naturally stays down, and that's obviously a good thing uh, uh, for, for a pitcher. And he's pitching on a very good team, and he doesn't have to be the number one guy. He gets to pitch behind Severino, and I just think that's a nice kind of calm place for a veteran like that to be in. He's still, I think, only 28 years old. So I, I'm, and that, that team has a really good, strong bullpen. So I'm just sort of anticipating that he'll, he'll, you know, he'll win, he'll win 14 games and give me a 3-2 ERA and pitch 170 innings and maybe give me 170 strikeouts, and that would be fine. You had Oakland uh, corner infielder Matt Chapman valued at $14, uh, but you ponied up fully $22. Why did you go so far over value on Matt Chapman? Um, he was the last real pow- potential power source at third base, um, and, and I was really targeting our friend Joey Gallo, but Gallo went for $6 more than I projected, and I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't go that far on him. So, and and. You know, it was funny. I mean, Chapman, Chapman has serious power, and he's going to be, the, barring anything peculiar, he's going to be the starting third baseman. So the, the question about him is, is average and so forth, but i got no doubt that he can hit 25 homers. Um, <clears throat> the $22, it was, it was kind of a combination of I had the money, I knew I had to get one more third base, I, I knew I needed some corner power. I didn't have much, out, uh, much uh, invested in my infield at that time. And... I just figured I would. I, I had to go after him. I needed that. That was that was a must. A must add because the power was starting to to, to fade away, and the remaining there there were no big hitters that were even left. And I did feel better though that uh, I had breakfast with Tristan uh, Cockroft, with whom I got in the bidding war, uh, and the next day, and, and he said he easily had Chapman valued at twenty bucks. So that made me feel a lot better about it. So and and I I do think he could hit 25 homers. I just would have been happier if I'd had the eight extra bucks to blow somewhere else. And uh, the final question I had was about uh, J D Martinez. He was your top buy, thirty one dollars. Now everybody likes J D Martinez, but I was wondering about the valuation because it seems to show that you're not too concerned about injury risk. Uh, I'm I'm not. I I think he'll fit in just fine there uh, in Boston. Number one, he should he should have a really good year and be able to hit really well. But the truth is. I had actually penciled him in for $43, wow. and I, I just thought that's how much it was going to cost because that seemed to be about the going price for the guy. So when I suddenly got him for $12 under what I projected, that gave me the $2 to buy, uh, two extra dollars for, um, for, for Kimbrell, and part of the $8 that I could allocate for Chapman. So in that sense, it didn't hurt that much. Um, but no, I think, you know, and he's also... He hasn't played a full season. Um, you could say, yeah, he's injury prone. You could also say he's due. So I'm, I'm going by he's due, and he's going to give me 145 games. If he does, he should, produce, he should make me my money. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Laura Michaels from Creative Sports and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Uh, Laura, in February, a couple of weeks ago, uh, usatoday.com ran an article in which you laid out your most overvalued and undervalued players for 2018. Uh, before we talk about individual players, what was your method for determining that? Oh, you know, it's the Zen. <laughs> um, it, you know, I look at, I, I've touched on it already a little bit. Um, I look at how the player played not only last year 
if possible, uh, of the last three years. You know, if it's a minor, if it's somebody who's younger, uh, I'll look at their minor league resume and try to bounce it against last year. But I also look at age, and I look at at their second half last year, and also that that sort of ephemeral. Uh, J.D. Martinez question, are they due? Are, you know, I think, I think it's a mistake, for example, to grab a pitcher who's thrown 185 innings three years in a row and struck out 200 guys. Not that that guy might not be a great pitcher, he might have a big year, but it's really hard to do that four times in a row. It just is. And I'm, I'm inclined to think that there'd be a correction. Just like you know, it, it's a uh, Albert Pujols and Mike Trout are rarities, um, and and thinking that Eddie Rosario might fall in their footsteps is just kind of a he might, but the percentages are he won't. So I, I I kind of crunch that combination like that and and just try to extrapolate the best I can. Well, we do want people to check out that article at usatoday.com. It's very interesting, but let's give them a taste of a few players. Uh, Bryce Harper's going in the first round in most of the expert drafts and mock drafts that I've seen, and you say he's an overvalued player. Uh, what are all the experts missing out on, Br- on Bryce Harper? Um, Bryce Harper is an enormously talented young man, uh, but it's been two years since he la- had his last big season. Um, there's no question how talented he is. But uh, and, but his, I think his homers total has been in the mid twenties for the last two years, which is is just fine. Um, but if you're gonna, I've seen him drafted pretty much between the five and eight slot in every league. And again, if you're, you know, I think it's my friend Todd who always says, "Are you, are are you, are, are you drafting? Or are you basing this on perceived value or actual value?" And if you're perceiving that. Bryce Harper is going to hit 40 homers again. He certainly can, but he has it the last two years. And maybe you're 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 drafting him on what you hope you you think he will do, as opposed to you know Chris Davis, who actually did hit 40 homers the last two years. I, I like that as a little better resume of recent productivity. Just cause. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you because uh, that one big value year Bryce Harper had, it seemed like one of those deals where all the stars align. And and I know he's a great player and I know he's got a lot of talent, but I, I'm with you. I, I want to see it again before I invest that much money. I mean, if he fell to me in the second round or the third round, of course, I'd be delighted, but I don't think I want to pay the price. Uh, another expert's darling you say is overvalued. This is somebody you mentioned earlier, Boston third baseman Raphael Devers. He had a really tremendous rookie year uh he's he's being taken very high in a lot of drafts being uh, very heavily spent on what's your concern with Raphael Devers again he's a young guy it's a good team i think he i think he should do all right because they can kind of hide him <clears throat> amongst a bunch of good hitters and he had he had pretty good minor league numbers he's very young but <clears throat> if you look uh, at at his stat line i think he came i can't remember if he came up in july or august but he had maybe 25 at-bats in July and hit 420, just just rocked it. And then after that, he was his numbers were much more pedantic. He still, I mean, he's only 22, be 22 next year. He produced phenomenally well, but again, his numbers dropped off, and it, it's, it's all about control of the strike zone. If the pitchers figured out how to keep him from having his July, it's his turn to try to figure out how to force the pitchers into his zone. 
and he's a young player, and that's a hard thing to do. Uh, it's a very fine game, the battle of the strike zone, and I, I just, you know, I would just be cautious. I, I don't, I, I'm not like I'm not high on him. If I'm in a dynasty league, he's a fantastic guy. If I'm in a head-to-head league, he could be a really good guy. I just, I don't, I don't. I don't know how much I draft him over Corey Spangenberg is the thing, where Spangenberg, you know, stole 15 bases, hit 11 homers, and, and you know, it just, I, I just think you have to be careful throwing all in with a young player like that. And Spangenberg is going to be available 12 rounds later, which is uh, something that you have to consider as well. Why do you think St. Louis starter Luke Weaver is overvalued? Um, I like everything about him, and he gives up pretty much a hit in the inning, literally, and he gives up home runs. So, Again, it, that that tells me he strikes out guys too. So what that tells me is he throws hard and he's around the plate, but he has to be pretty fine. And that and, and that if he's not if he's not fine enough, he gets taken deep. And I think that team is going to struggle some. I think they're redefining themselves. I don't know if I like all the moves that they made. I I, I mean I love that they got Marcelo Zuna, um, but I think that team is in a lot more disarray than we. Than we might think, looking at them on the surface. For usually, St. Louis just seems so <clears throat> kind of almost deliberately calm and well stocked, and I think maybe that's not quite the case right now. Among your undervalued players, Laura, I was intrigued by your support of Joey Gallo, and in fact, you mentioned getting into a uh, bidding war for Joey Gallo in your labor draft. Uh, the power obviously plays in any league, and the walks really help in on-base leagues. But in batting average leagues, doesn't he just kill your team? Again, I, I mentioned when you said, what things do I look at, it's the second half. And if you look at Joey Gallo's second half, his batting average, he, he raised his batting average 30 points from 199 to 209. Now, that might not sound like much, but imagine if he had raised it from 230 to 260, we'd all be going, whoa. Um, he had three less walks over the second half. He got 75 walks during the season, but... 28 less strikeouts second half, uh, 28, so, and, and he had 170, uh, 196 strikeouts. So he, he was definitely more discerning at what he was swinging at. He had a 45-point jump in on-base percentage, but his power was the same. He hit 21 homers first half, 20 homers second half. So whatever he was doing did not impact his power at all, and he's 24 years old. So what that tells me is, Maybe he figured out something about controlling the zone that second half, and he start, he's becoming a smarter, better hitter. And again, if, you know, if, if it's worth looking at, at, at Reese Hoskins because he had a good 200 at-bats, so did jo- Joey, Joey Gallo's 250 at-bats second half were at least as good. And <clears throat> I, I just think, uh, I, I think he, if he hits 240, if he does, if he does what he did second half, that's 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 going to be a monster season. If he could do that for a full year with the two three sixty on base percentage and hit forty homers, that's that's pretty good. I'll take it. Yeah, but Reese Hoskins also had a track record of having good plate control in the minor leagues as well. And for Joey Gallo, uh, he's done it for as you point out, he's done it for half a season, uh, improved that aspect of his game at least. But boy, isn't the proof of the pudding still going to be in the eating? Uh, don't you really think we ought to see a little bit more of that before, or is it, is now the time to gamble? Because once once he demonstrates he's figured it out, uh, the price is going to really skyrocket. That's part of my theory. It's part, and, and a lot of it too is. <clears throat> the mainstream is 
kind of echoing what you're saying about a lot of strikeouts in the batting average will hurt you. Well, okay, fine. Um, it's very difficult to win flying with convention. It's much easier. You, you have a stand a better chance to win going against the grain and, and trying to make, you know, salad out of everybody's leftover vegetables than, than or succotash, I guess. But uh, anyway, I, I, you know, part of the way I like to play is, is to exploit other people's dismissals. And I think Joey's unnecessarily dismissed. Uh, at least I think his second half last year has been glossed over, put it that way. Suffering succotash. Uh, one other thing about Joey Gallo, if he does improve on uh, cutting the strikeouts, uh, there's some room for growth in his counting stats as well. You know, you can't drive in runs or score runs if you're striking out, but if he even uh, cuts it by, you know, three or four percentage points, that's a huge amount considering how hard he hits the ball. He could add 10, 12 RBIs to his total as well, which is something else to consider. Uh, finally, Laura, you're positive on Oakland starter Daniel Mengden. Uh, I believe you grabbed him at labor, correct me if I'm wrong. Despite his uh, 418 ADP, an unimpressive record thus far, why are you so interested in Daniel Mengden? Um, Daniel Mengden uh, notched a minor league line over 286 innings of 22 and 10, 2.93 ERA, 1.17 whip, and he struck out a batter an inning. In the majors, his overall record thus far is 5 and 11 with a 5.24 ERA. However, in September of last year, if you if you, you could subtract these or at least add these numbers into his his, his major league total, he went three and one with a one point five four ERA over thirty five innings in September with an uh, a point with a zero point eight two nine WHIP. So his three and eleven mark take away you know the three and one and all of a sudden he's two and ten with about a nine ERA going into last September. Obviously, he's a good control pitcher. Uh, he, at least he has the capability of doing that, which is what he showed in the minor leagues. And I, I think he, I think he just figured it out. He figured out what to do, how to how to set up hitters. And I'm kind of looking at him to be kind of a maybe Brett Saberhagen light on that Oakland team. That's a a very interesting Oakland team. They're very very young. They have a lot of pop, and nobody's heard of most of their guys. <laughs> So I, I think I think a, a lot of them are going to be undervalued. But uh, Chad Pinder, Matt Chapman, uh, uh, Matt Olson, uh, those are Chris Davis. Those guys all have some serious power, and uh, I, I, I I think they could surprise. And I know you're an Oakland area guy, and it's a team that you follow closely, so that's interesting information. Uh, Lore, uh, maybe let you take a little breather on the bench between innings, keep your arm warm, and come back a little later on in the podcast. Sounds good to me. Laura Michaels is the Fantasy Zen Master from Creative Sports and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When we return, our Market Watch segments, player news from the National League and the American League, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Right now, though, it's time in the show and I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets me say with confidence BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Market Watch column, Matthew Cederholm looks at how owners are valuing starting pitchers across fantasy baseball. In Playing Time Tomorrow, Brent Hershey looks at roster situations in the National League East. And in Facts and Flukes, Brandon Cruz looks at Elvis Andrews, Starlin Castro, Adalberto Mejia, and other players. 
And those are just three of the many dozens of articles at BaseballHQ.com, a small sampling of all that great content that's there all the time and why we call the site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Now it's time for our Market Watch segments. We go to the uh, American League in just a minute with Jock Thompson, but right now it's a pleasure to welcome back our old friend Harold Nichols with the National League. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Patrick. It's always good to be here. Pretty uh, slow news week again. We're still waiting for some signings to take place. But in the meantime, I spotted a column at BaseballHQ.com the other day by a former HQ Radio contributor. Ryan Bloomfield is now the speculator columnist at the site. And he did an interesting column about guys who are being... uh, victimized by what you call recency bias. That is, everybody looks at their most recent season and maybe unnecessarily downgrades them a bit much. And one of the names that really jumped out at me was Jonathan VR, who came into last season as a top 25 pick, had a great 2016 with 19 homers, 92 runs, 62 stolen bases leading the league. Then, of course, last year was a comprehensive bust. And and Ryan says uh, VR may be a victim of too much recency bias. Yeah, you know, recency bias is an interesting thing, and I found the whole article very interesting because it's hard to get the recent numbers out of your head when you're looking at uh, at a player and you say, you know, is this, is this breakout for real, and or is this guy getting too old and suddenly falling away? And recency bias is a, is a really tough thing when it comes to drafts and, and trying to figure out exactly what to do, and VR is certainly a victim of that. As you said, a monster 2016, and then last year, an absolutely disastrous season. Hit 241 with 11 home runs, 23 stolen bases, compared to 19 home runs, 62 stolen bases in 2016. And so it's plummeted way, way down draft lists. And, you know, as we do at Baseball HQ, we we go back and look at um, how much of this was the fault of the player, how much of this was the fault of bad luck, and in VR, we've got a little bit of both. There was a dip in his contact rate down to 67%, and that's not good. But his hit rate also fell a bit below his career norms. So, uh, you know, VR is kind of an established ball player, and I would think there's a good chance that he could rebound, maybe not all the way to 2016, but a good chance that he could bounce back. Made really good hard contact, a 33% hard hit rate, uh, and has a really good green light, a 32% stolen base rate. So really could produce some stats if he's uh, if he... Uh, rebounds at all. Doubly important in this uh, speed-starved environment, too, if he could come up with some stolen bases. I think he's a really lucrative investment if he can win the, the second-base job out of spring training. And, Nick, when I look at the competition, it's it's not like we're looking at, you know, the second coming of Joe Morgan here, Eric Sogard and Hernan Perez. Right, yes. So, I, you know, I think there's a, it, it is, there is a competition going on, given what he did last year. But I, as you say, uh, I think he's really ready to uh, to take take that job, and um, also admitted that he dealt with some right shoulder tightness uh, last after last spring's uh, World Baseball Classic, and that may have have played a part in what happened to him. So I would look for him to bounce back rather nicely. Uh, there's certainly some risk, but in this kind of environment, a guy who can steal bases at VR's uh, at VR's rate is certainly worth looking at. And Nick, uh, HQ's projection for Jonathan VR is just 250 at-bats with a mid-250s batting average, maybe 20 bags, which is not bad, actually. 20 bags could be helpful. But if you double those at-bats, which doesn't seem completely out of the question, boy, VR could be a huge get. Um, the Washington Nationals got some news. Outfielder Adam Eaton has a sore knee, hasn't been in a spring training game yet, and it doesn't look like he will be anytime soon. Baseball HQ analyst Phil Hertz is on this story for playing time today. 
Uh, who gets Eaton's playing time in the Washington outfield? Well, there are a couple of possibilities and so, several interesting things to look at in the Washington outfield. Uh, Howie Kendrick last year did very, very well uh, playing in the in the outfield and in the infield, and, and just a, uh, uh, a 285 XBA, nine homers, 12 steals. Uh, and Howie Kendrick is certainly putting on some age, but hasn't really slowed down yet. So Howie Kendrick is a possibility. And if he gets playing time, he's not a bad guy to have at the back of your roster. Uh, Brian Goodwin played well, 268, expected batting average, 133 uh, XPX, 115 uh, speed, over 251 at-bats. So that's a possibility. And finally, Victor Robles is available. The the vaunted prospect that we all expect to really do very well once he gets a shot at Major League Baseball. And um, he was exposed briefly to Major League pitching last fall. Uh, we've been theorizing as to how Washington would make use of him. And if Eaton is not there, it's certainly possible that Robles would be on the field. Yeah, uh, BaseballHQ.com is projecting Eaton for 75% of the outfield playing time, which is still very high and, and kind of puts the lie to the whole idea that he's going to miss a ton of time. Um, we have some other guys. You mentioned uh, Brian Goodwin. We have him for 25%. We've got Kendrick for 20% plus a few odds and ends in the infield. And here's the interesting thing. Victor Robles we have currently at 45% of the playing time, which seems to imply he'll be uh, either on the roster to start the season or called up relatively quickly. Right. I think we're all there. We're expecting uh, Victor Robles to be re- really be ready this season. Uh, and certainly, you know, a guy who's getting really his first uh, first sort of full-time uh, exposure to Major League Baseball, we, we won't, don't want to expect too much. But right now the projection is 289 at-bats, Six home runs, uh, 16 stolen bases, 272 batting average. And I think given his minor league track record, that's got to be fairly modest. I will offer one caution, and this is one of those kind of things that's uh, maybe a bit of recency bias and also a bit of uh, believing my own eyes over the numbers, which is something we always advise our listeners and subscribers not to do. And that is, I saw Victor Robles play in the Arizona Fall League last year, and he's got a bit of the dog in him. A couple of times he got benched for not running out uh, fly balls. He didn't run out one play where there was an error made on the play, and he should have reached and got thrown out anyway. Those kind of things, a bit of the hot dog, you know, and and, uh, I wonder... In uh, a situation like Washington, where they have aspirations to the playoffs in the World Series, whether they can afford to have uh, a guy like Victor Robles come up and start bringing that attitude into games. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, this is not something Washington is likely to put up with, given their aspirations for the season. So my guess is if he begins displaying that, he's going to find himself either back on the bench or in the minors to to learn a few lessons. I mean, he's he's 20 years old. He's uh, certainly uh, young enough. He's got some things to learn. And so... I agree with you. If there's that hot dog attitude, I don't think Washington's going to put up with it very long. And it might be something, one of those things to watch for in spring training. He'll he'll get some at-bats in spring training. We know that. And uh, if you have access to watch the games or listen to the games and you're interested in Victor Robles, take a listen to see how it sounds like he's playing, whether he's giving it 100% out there, whether he's trying to impress with some hustle or not. And I think that... You know, I'm not a big believer in spring training statistics. You've got guys hitting six or seven home runs in spring training doesn't mean that much. But I think if a player exhibits a poor attitude or a really good attitude in spring training, that can augur well because it indicates an attitude issue rather than a performance issue, which, as we know, ebbs and flows. Right. I agree with you very definitely. And that's uh, that's certainly something to watch. And you're right. If you've got a chance, I would certainly watch and see see how that seems to be playing out. Or watch uh, Washington Nationals media. You can read about it online and, of course, at BaseballHQ.com. Nick, last year when uh, 
Chris Owings took over at shortstop in Arizona when Nick Ahmed got hurt, and then this year they've traded second baseman Brandon Drury to the Yankees. I would have thought that Chris Owings was going to get one of those two full-time middle infield jobs, but now the Arizona media are reporting that Owings is being ready for a role as some kind of super utility player who could get at-bats all over the field. How does this news affect Owings' fantasy value, do you think? It may appear, and I think I'm sure a lot of people are going to respond this way, that seeing Owings as a super utility player who's going to get less than 500 at-bats, you kind of go, ah, really? I'm going to drop him down my draft list. But I really like Chris Owings. And uh, as a as a fantasy manager, I kind of like him better as a super utility guy than I do as a uh, as a full timer at, at one of the posi- one position or another. He can play second base. He can play shortstop. He can play in the outfield. He, we've even got him projected to play a little bit at third base. So that's a, that's a lot of uh, a lot of eligibility in fantasy who, that can really help your roster from a guy that I really 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 like. Especially in only leagues where it's so tough to find any replacement hitters uh, in the free agent pool after the draft is over. If you get an injury of some kind, it can be really helpful to have a guy that you can move around your roster to take available of the best of the dregs in the free agent pool. Now, my concern with the Chris Owings situation is Daniel Descalso is also on the roster, and he looks like he's going to be kind of targeted into that super utility role, and it looks like he could be taking away at-bats from Chris Owings in that role. Well, that's that's a possibility. I mean, Descalso has a, as you said, has a history of of being in in that position, and in a way, that's good. I mean, Owens is going to have to um, is is certainly going to have to show what he's got in order to keep that role. But if he does anything at all like what he did in the first half last season, last year in the first half, two ninety seven batting average, eleven home runs, eleven stolen bases, and basically half a season of baseball. Uh, and so, if he comes anywhere approaches that at all, uh, he's going to be on the field a lot. Meanwhile, we also have the aforementioned Nick Ahmed and Kettle Marte are going to be uh, apparently going to be the starters at uh, second base and shortstop, respectively. The chances of them uh, really being outperformers has a great impact on how Chris Owings is going to do getting playing time. How do they look? It, it does indeed. And, I, you know, I think with, uh, uh, with both of them, you've got to look at uh, these guys are not, uh, especially Nick Ahmed is not a, a great guy with a bat. I mean, We've looked at some his upside, uh, according to Baseball HQ, is 10 home runs, 10 stolen bases. Uh, we're projecting him at 11 home runs and 9 stolen bases and a 235 batting average. So uh, here's a guy that's, that's more likely than not to be a bit of a drag, at least in the in the BA department. Uh, and at this point, his BA's major league batting average is 200, 226, 218, 251. So uh, not not a guy who's going to light it up in terms of his uh, his hitting performance. And I think that's something... Uh, something to keep an eye on and when you've got a guy like that on the field you're you're playing him because of his defensive capabilities uh and if uh, and probably the rest of that that, that uh, Arizona lineup is strong enough to carry it but you, uh, you've got to wonder uh the same is true with uh, with Kendall Marte again a guy who's got some upside uh we have an upside of 10 homers 20 stolen bases for Marte but uh Another guy who's not going to tear it up in terms of batting average. He had 283 in 2015, then 259, 260. So a guy who's going to hover kind of around that area, 259, 260, uh, is what we would expect from him in batting averages. His XBAs confirm that same kind of a, uh, kind of a floor slash ceiling for him. 
And, of course, a lot depends on what everybody else in the lineup does. But when I look at Nick Ahmed, the thing that jumps out at me is he's never had an on-base percentage over 300. The peak was last year at 298, and he's he's not drawn a lot of walks, 5-6%. And uh, at a certain point, no matter how good the glove is, if Owings can top that kind of relatively anemic performance and and so far as uh, getting on base uh, hitting the ball with authority at some point don't don't they have to say you know what maybe Nick Ahmed should be the super utility guy here and move around the diamond but we need some production from that slot yeah I think so I think eventually I think unless the the rest of the lineup is producing a full tilt that certainly becomes a a strong possibility finally Nick uh, Brent Hershey covers the uh, National League East the other day for playing time tomorrow at BaseballHQ.com, and Brent reported four right-handed starters vying for just three spots in the rotation in Philadelphia. Bring us up to date on that competition. We got four actually fairly good arms looking at that uh, at that possibility. Uh, Nick Nick Pavetta um, trying to get some consistency, uh, going to get was was hit very hard by hit strand and home run to fly ball rates uh, last year. An ugly six point oh two ERA. But some second half improvement skills and uh, uh, could give him a chance at the, at the rotation. Uh, Zach Eflin, uh, another possibility. Um, again, a guy who's looking at an ERA probably around around mid fours. Uh, if we if we go with what's uh, what's really uh, the the strongest possibility in terms of his uh, his production, um, and Ben Lively who. Uh, has to find a way to locate his pitches. His stuff is below the others in terms of, uh, of raw stuff. Uh, so he's got to do pinpoint control to do well. But I thought the most interesting thing that Brent talked about was Vince Velasquez. Vince Velasquez is a guy that generated a lot of, um, a lot of buzz early on in fantasy league because of the number of strikeouts he was getting. Uh, and then was unable to really turn that into, into production. But the thing about Vince Velasquez, and I really liked what Brent had to say about, about Brent's here is that, Vince Velasquez's first couple of spring training outings, he's breezed through the first inning. He's begun to struggle in the second inning. And many have said that really Vince Velasquez should be a back of the bullpen arm. Uh, this is a guy that uh, maybe shouldn't be stretched out, but should be prepared for coming in to pitch uh, pitch uh, an inning at the end of the ball game when he can strike out all three batters and they don't have to look at him more than once. So at 26 years old, he's got to get a shot to get into the rotation. Uh, certainly has a great arm. But uh, and, and probably will claim one of those rotation spots, uh, but a guy to keep your eye on, too, in terms of could he eventually wind up in the bullpen. Yeah, what worries me about Vince Velasquez is that F health grade that BaseballHQ.com has given Vince Velasquez because he's had so many injuries, the nagging kind, the potentially serious kind. Now, Vince Velasquez, you know, he, he's one of those guys, Nick, don't you think that if he fell to the 20th round or something like that or the 18th round, you might throw a pick in there because you never know. Maybe he figures it out this year. He's 26, so he's coming into his physical prime. But if you have to invest any kind of serious money, then chances are you're probably better off looking somewhere else. And I don't mean somewhere else in Philadelphia. I mean somewhere else, period. Right. I agree with you. Yeah. He's not a guy that you'd want to invest a lot of money in. I, he's not a guy I would put on my on my breakout list. Uh, the, 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 the important things, the, the positive things about Vin Velasquez the last two seasons were his XERA, 4.04, 3.81. Uh, but then last year struggled to a 4.65 XERA and a 5.13 overall ERA. Uh, so a guy to keep your eye on. I think I'd even put him maybe on my watch list rather than on the uh, on the late draft list because there are lots of pitchers out there. All right, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out. We'll talk to you again in a week's time. 
All right, thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now we move to the American League and live from Phoenix, Arizona, Baseball HQ writer and director of news and analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, how's spring training going? Hey, PD. Yeah, except for a few hiccups here, it's uh, it's been terrific. Uh, I can't tell whether I'm more excited than usual about the new season, but this has one of the been one of the most fun and informative springs uh, I can remember spending here in Phoenix. And obviously, we're going to cover the AL, but uh, for our listeners in mixed leagues, uh, keep an eye on the San Diego Padres and some of their kids because they really look interesting this year. One of the most interesting stories in the American League in the offseason, of course, Shohei Otani, the Japanese pitcher slash hitter. He hasn't thrown that much in spring training, and uh, uh, I don't know if we can even comment on his pitching skills given how little he's actually pitched. Uh, But a lot of people are interested in him as a batter, and I know you've seen him a few times swinging the bat. I have. Uh, So far, uh, similar to pitching, there hasn't been that much to see. He's only hit 11 times. I've been able to see him hit six times while I've been out here. Uh, he's he's whiffed six times, uh, or I'm sorry, he's whiffed uh, uh, twice with a walk. Uh, I've seen two memorable at-bats, one against the Reds in which he hit a shot into the left center field gap that Billy Hamilton ran down. I don't know if you saw that. It, yeah, was, on the, uh, it was on most of the MLB replays, and it really was a spectacular catch. Um, I also watched him get rung up uh, Wednesday versus Clayton Kershaw on what seemed to be a, a very generous home country call by home plate umpire Bill Miller. So he has opposite field power. He's worked deep counts. Uh, we're waiting to see some of the starting lineups before we choose a game today. We may go see him if he's in the lineup in Ho-Ho Cam. Uh, but obviously, uh, Otani's going to be one of the more interesting stories to watch in the AL West. Of course, he's not the first hitter to whiff against Clayton Kershaw, so we can't really hold that against him. Billy Hamilton hurt himself on that play. As I recall, he may not start the season because of a finger injury he got making that terrific play. Uh, Staying with Angels pitchers, moving to the non-hitting variety, uh, you said uh, you've seen Garrett Richards pitch. He looked pretty sharp, you said. Yeah, Garrett Richards was terrific uh, yesterday. I watched the... uh the Otani Kershaw matchup in Tempe, and uh, Garrett was Garrett was the Angel pitcher. He whipped seven Dodgers in four innings. He only gave up a run. He only gave up two hits, and they were back to back, which is why the run scored. Richards has now gone uh, nine innings. He's given up just five hits and two runs. He's whiffed twelve. He looks like the Angels' ace if he can stay healthy. That is indeed the question, and uh, there have been stories around Major League Baseball of teams trying different approaches to managing their rotation. The Rays apparently are going to run with four guys instead of five, and then fill in the fifth day gap with a bunch of uh, relief pitchers. I'll be talking with Todd Zola about that a little later on. Your Angels, meanwhile, are are talking about using a six-man rotation. Is that to protect um, Garrett Richards and other injury-prone Angels pitchers? And if so, is it going to work? Yeah, I think that's that's the uh, that's the state of objective. The Angels have probably eight arms um, that 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 could be starters this year. But let's face it, most of them had injuries over the last few years. Um, some of those still have options left. They're going to be starting at uh, at AAA. And I think a lot of these teams right now are are just making this up as they go along. They're definitely leery of injuries and the depth that they don't have. Um, I read the story about Tampa Bay yesterday. I don't know how many early off days they're getting. Uh, I know the Angels last year had a bunch of early off days, and then late in the season they uh, they didn't have as many. If Tampa Bay's having a bunch of early off days, it's going to be a lot easier for them to go to that four-man rotation they're talking about. Uh, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how clubs handle it this year. 
In Toronto, and Jock, this hardly qualifies as news, uh, shortstop Troy Tulowitzki is hurt. He won't be ready for opening day because of a chronic bone spur in his right heel. Uh, Matt Dodge covering the story for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. Uh, how will the Blue Jays fill that shortstop slot? Well, as you know, the, the, the Blue Jays uh, stockpiled some shortstop talent uh, in anticipation of this uh, over the offseason, they picked up Aledmus Diaz from the from the Cardinals. He'd fallen out of favor there. Uh, and they also picked up uh, utility Yangerby Salarte, who he's not a, a, um, a real shortstop. He played some shortstop last year for the Padres, and I, and I guess he did okay defensively. Um, Fantasy-wise, um, I would prefer Salarte offensively, although, def- although on defense, my guess is that Diaz is probably a little better. Um, if, if you're looking, again, if you're a... a a fantasy player and you're looking for uh, versatility in the field and and perhaps better offense certainly more power um go with go with Solarte over Diaz I know Diaz has some pretty decent speed I think his speed score we had him at 116 for last year which is 16 percent above league league normal but only eight of 13 in stolen base chances a 62 percent success rate that'll get you a red light most of the time uh, I think this is going to be a fluid situation and uh, I believe that either Diaz or Solarte will bat his way into the lineup at least in spring training and then we'll have to see where things go from there uh, in Boston Blake Swihart hey how about Blake Swihart 10 for 24 with six doubles a home run three walks and four strikeouts is Blake Swihart playing himself right back into the Boston lineup yeah, he is, and I think primarily because he's an ex-catcher. And there's, let's face it, there's not a lot of uh, quality at the catching position, uh, either fantasy-wise or uh, MLB-wise. Now, this all really depends on how Boston is viewing his defense at catcher, because I think that was one of his problems over the last two years. Swear, it hasn't uh, been particularly productive over the last two years, no matter where he's been, either in Boston or uh, or Pawtucket. Um, we heard from Todd Zola, I think, in our forums that. He'd been pretty sick. Uh, he lost about 25 pounds at one point there. So that also played into this. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what Boston does with him. He's out of options, so um, there's there's some decisions to be made in a couple of weeks. Swihart only played six games in the majors last year, but four of them were behind the plate. And in many fantasy leagues, that means he's going to qualify at catcher this year. And certainly, uh, if he gets any kind of playing time at catcher, he immediately jumps into consideration uh, for a roster spot on a fantasy team. Because like you say, not that many of them. We're pegging uh, Swihart right now at 15% of the at-bats in Boston this year, but just 5% of the catching because uh, they've got other choices. Christian Vasquez, chief among them. Um, Oakland has a bit of a phenom on the mound. Uh, A.J. Pook, is it, or Puck? Looks like he belongs. Yeah, I think it's Puck. Um, and yeah, besides Richards, this was one of the uh, other fun, um, fascinating pitching efforts I've been able to observe. I was right behind home plate in Ho-Ho Cam watching Puck pitch three innings against San Diego. And he came out struggling with his command of his secondaries, uh, both his breaking stuff and changeup in the first inning. But he recovered nicely. He gave up a run. He, he struck out three. And he, he clearly has terrific stuff. He's, he's almost a certainty to head for AAA Nashville for some polishing uh, come opening day. But this is big-time stuff, and in my opinion, Puck could pitch out of the Oakland pen right now. I don't think he will, um, but I don't think he's going to have to wait until September to get the call. Oakland has all kinds of rotation questions, um, and while the pen looks improved, I, I think they're going to have trouble explaining to their fans in August why Puck is still down if he is. Uh, he's, a, he's a rookie pitcher I would take a reserve flyer on in, uh, in, in redraft leagues um, after watching him just because I think he's going to come faster than a lot of people expect. 
And finally, uh, here's a story for you. Ichiro Suzuki is going back to Seattle. They signed him to a one-year major league deal that makes him the front runner to get the at-bats early in the season in left field in the wake of Ben Gamble's got a strained oblique. What are Ichiro's chances of returning any fantasy value from Seattle? We heard about uh, Gamble's oblique strain down here, and I said to my wife that Seattle would be looking at free agent out outfielders just because they, they don't have a lot of depth, near-ready near depth on that team. And, of course, a day or two later, uh, Ichiro's back in the fold. But, you know, this is a fun story, and he's going to get some opportunity, but he's 44 years old. He posted a, a 649 OPS and 196 uh, at-bats last year as a part-timer. He only stole one base. Um, he's still going to slap the ball around and make near 80% contact, but it really is empty contact right now. And I'm not sure how fantasy owners in any format are going to assume much production here. This is more of a commentary on the Mariners' lack of depth. And frankly, I think they're fooling themselves and their fans if, if they think they're a postseason contender uh, having to make moves like this. You know, you mentioned that he's 44 years old. There was a story at MLB.com uh, written by Greg Johns, and he quoted Seattle manager Scott Service saying, Ichiro is going to play mostly in left field this year and Ichiro himself said that uh, reports that he wants to play until he's 50 are wrong he says he wants to play until he's at least 50 is what he says he's going to be the Gordie Howe of baseball yeah, I mean, Seattle definitely has an opening in left field, and again, it comes back down to their to their lack of talent at, at that level. I'm I'm not even sure he couldn't beat out Ben uh, Ben Gamble, given that uh, if you look at Gamble, what Gamble did in the second half I mean, of last year, you talk about empty contact. Uh, um, this is not a good situation in Seattle right now. And for anybody who's interested, there's a terrific story in ESPN, the magazine, about Ichiro and his strange focus. He's a very focused guy, but it manifests itself in some pretty interesting ways. Jock, thanks for helping us out. Talk to you again next week. Have fun at spring training. Okay, PD, thanks a lot. Jock Thompson writes for BaseballHQ.com and is the site's director of news and analysis. When we come back, our terrific Baseball HQ commentaries, the Minor League Minute frequent flyer and position previews, all coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! What a play by Wise! Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have frequent flyer and position previews. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a look at two Cardinal right-handers, Alex Reyes and Jack Flaherty, is BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. Fantasy owners looking to land rookie bargains on draft day are frequently disappointed, either because they end up having to overpay for that next can't-miss prospect or because that can't-miss prospect struggles in their MLB debut. Crafty owners, however, realize that there are bargains to be had, and frequently those bargains can be found in prospects who start the year in the minors. The St. Louis Cardinals have two such pitching prospects who could earn a nifty profit for owners willing to be patient. 
22-year-old rookie Alex Reyes was set to be a breakout prospect in 2017, but Tommy John surgery in February caused him to miss the entire season. He is steadily working his way back from the injury and should be able to take the mound by early May. What his role will be once he returns to action remains to be seen, and there has been some talk of using the flamethrowing Reyes in relief while he builds up arm strength. Prior to the injury, Reyes featured a plus three pitch mix highlighted by an 80 grade heater that sits at 95 to 98 and tops out at 102. He backs up the heater with a plus 12 to 6 curveball and an above average changeup. Reyes can sometimes struggle with control, but his career 12.1 dominance rate highlights his vast potential. While Reyes has the stuff to be a staff ace, right hander Jack Flaherty has the savvy and command to slot in as a solid number three. Flaherty comes after hitters with four average to above offerings, including a 92 to 95 mile an hour fastball, a slider, a curve, and a changeup. After four minor league seasons, the 22 year old Flaherty has a 2.77 ERA, 2.6 control ratio, and 9.0 dominance. Flaherty did struggle on five big league starts last year, going 0 2 with a 6.33 ERA, and was uncharacteristically wild, so he could be rostered cheaply. He isn't flashy, but he keeps the ball in the park and gets the job done. Neither Reyes nor Flaherty will start the year in St. Louis, but Adam Wainwright is clearly on the downside of what has been an excellent career, and Miles Mikolas hasn't pitched in the U.S. since 2014 when he posted a 6.44 ERA with the Rangers. If Reyes and Flaherty can be rostered on the cheap, they could earn a nice profit by year's end. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. During spring training and all season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on top prospects, moves within the organizations, daily call-ups reports once the season starts, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week's prospect coverage includes Rob Gordon's column on his picks as top starting pitching prospects. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, and don't we all, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for Frequent Flyer, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyer, Baltimore outfielder Austin Hayes. And here to tell you more is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. He may not be Willie Mays Hayes, the popular fictional Cleveland Indians outfielder brought to life by Wesley Snipes in the 1989 hit movie Major League, but 22-year-old Baltimore Orioles outfielder Austin Hayes could grab some headlines in 2018. Maybe he won't necessarily play like Mays and run like Hayes, as Wesley Snipes' character described his talents in the movie, but this former third-round Orioles draft pick in 2016 did slash 329, 365, and 593 between two levels of the minors last season, Class A Advanced and Double A. Not to mention that Austin Hayes fished with 36 home runs, tying him for second in the minors in 2017, and he topped it off with five stolen bases in addition to his previously mentioned 329 batting average. In fact, Austin Hayes skipped AAA entirely on his way to making his Major League debut on September 7, 2017. This Jacksonville University product proceeded to launch his first big league home run in the ninth inning at Yankee Stadium on September 16, 2017, a two-run opposite field shot to right that broke up the Yankees' shutout that night. Obviously, there are many more big league home runs to follow in Austin Hayes' blossoming career, blessed with an intriguing hit tool, 
Austin Hayes is an ultra-aggressive hitter, according to Chris Blessing, his February 24th Miners column on BaseballHQ.com. Chris describes Hayes' mindset as thinking they can jack any pitch out of the park, maybe because his back control and plate coverage allows him to get the pitches considered unhittable to other hitters. According to Chris, of course, as with any prospect, there are risks. Austin Hayes appears to be battling Joey Rickard and Jacob Brugman for a roster spot. Plus, his minor throwing shoulder injury in spring training may have set him back in terms of going north with the Orioles in three weeks. That's why Austin Hayes, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your draft. Then again, Baltimore did start the 2017 season with Trey Mancini in the outfield, despite only playing five games at the big league level in September of 2016. Of course, Trey Mancini had already logged 125 games at AAA, whereas Austin Hayes has zero. Boston Hayes does possess terrific bat speed and leverage, leading to a plus pop to all fields, according to Baseball HQ's 2018 Minor League Baseball Analyst. Perhaps those skills are what earned Austin Hayes the Brooks Robinson Minor League Player of the Year Award for Baltimore in 2017. So maybe he can play like Mays and run like Hayes. Well, maybe. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky at BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for position previews. And here with a scan of middle infielders is Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. Welcome to the penultimate installment of our preseason position previews. We've previously previewed corner infielders, outfielders, relief pitchers, and starting pitchers. You can download those episodes if you need to catch up. Today, we'll look at middle infielders. Knowledge of position landscapes helps you make keeper decisions and provides perspective on position scarcity for your drafts and auctions. We're using the universal draft grid from the 2018 Baseball Forecaster to see how many players are at each tier level in mixed and only leagues. The universal draft grid employs the standard roto categories and 20-game position eligibility. So, for example, if your league requires only 10 games or uses on-base percentage instead of batting average, you'll need to adjust. For a precise picture of individual player rankings and values specific to your leagues, use the custom draft guide at BaseballHQ.com. We divide players into seven tiers, elite, gold, stars, regulars, mid-level, bench, and fringe. To identify potential targets, we use bold print for those with reliability grades of B or better in each of three criteria, health, playing time or experience, and consistency. There is an abundance of middle infielders capable of contributing to your teams this season with 63 at the mid-level or above. In all but the very deepest of leagues, it's safe to ignore the bench and fringe tiers with the exception of the top prospects. It's unusual to see six untested rookies in the universal draft grid, but this year Scott Kingery leads the way in the bench tier, and in the fringe tier we have Willie Adamas, Glaber Torres, Brendan Rogers, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Richard Urania. With the excellent athleticism required of middle infielders, it's no surprise that 26 of the 63 in the top five tiers are eligible at multiple positions, including nine in the outfield and 12 at third base. In addition, elite second baseman D. Gordon is moving to the Mariners outfield and mid-level second baseman Brandon Drury is penciled in at third base for the Yankees. 
Multiple position eligibility is a two-edged sword. Once the season starts, you get the advantage of position flexibility in managing your daily lineups. But in your drafts and auctions, you have the disadvantage of other owners taking your targets at one of those other positions. Besides changing positions, Gordon and Drury are changing leagues, adding to a middle infield imbalance that requires the acute attention of National League-only leaguers. Of the 14 middle infielders in the top two tiers, 11 are in the American League, leaving only three for the National League. Shortstop Trey Turner and second baseman DJ LeMayhew and Daniel Murphy. And Murphy's not expected to be ready for opening day due to off-season microfracture surgery on his right knee. Adding to the National League challenge, only two of those top 14 middle infielders have the bold print reserved for our reliability targets, and they are straight-A American League shortstops Francisco Lindor and Xander Bogarts. If you've seen or heard Dodger games, you may know that after a win, the PA system fills the air with Randy Newman singing, We Love L.A. He also has an appropriate anthem for NL-only leaguers with regard to middle infielders. That one's called, It's Lonely at the Top. Because in those top two tiers, the second base gap favors the American League 5-2 to two, and the shortstop gap favors the American League 6-1. to one. What happens if we expand our definition of top to include the stars tier? The gaps among the 45 middle infielders in the top three tiers begin to close. The National League has five of the six shortstops and seven of the ten second basemen in the stars tier, where Brandon Phillips remains a free agent despite his dual eligibility at second and third and his straight-A reliability grades. Overall, the American League has 24 middle infielders and the National League has 20 in the top three tiers. But shortstop is a different story, and we don't mean Trevor, who's in the next tier down at the mid-level. Only three of the nine shortstops in the regular tier are from the National League, so that critical gap widens. Of the 22 shortstops in the top three tiers, the American League has 13, and the National League has only nine. Not even enough to go around in a 10-team NL-only league. Before we end with some shortstop strategy suggestions for NL-only leaguers, let's see what we have at the mid-level tier. Beginning with another attractive free agent in Neil Walker, there are seven more second basemen and 11 more shortstops. But five of those seven second sackers are from the American League, making that gap reappear as it goes from even at 11 each through three tiers to favoring the AL by four, 16 to 12 with two free agents through four tiers. At shortstop, the gap finally closes a bit with the addition of seven from the National League and four from the American League, making it just 17 to 16 in favor of the American League. And you'll have to judge the relative value of quality and quantity according to your own circumstances, but even though we excluded the bench tier from our overall analysis, there are four flyers worth adding to your NL-only shortstop list. Reliable but mediocre Jordy Mercer, post-hype Dansby Swanson, stealth second-half improver Cattell Marte, who's slated to add second-base eligibility, and the already shortstop plus third-base eligible Johan Camargo. So the big question with middle infielders is at shortstop for NL-only leaguers. Use an early pick or pay top dollar for a good one? Settle for a less costly but reliable mid-level one? Or take an inexpensive flyer in the endgame? Given the scarcity at shortstop in the National League, you may need a plan A ideal, a plan B fallback, and a plan C contingency. Better to study the bargains and values in the market pulse columns by Matthew Cedarholm on our site. Best of luck with your middle infielder plans, and tune in next week to tour the catcher and designated hitter landscapes. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick does our weekend pitcher matchups during the season here at Baseball HQ Radio and has his position previews here at the show through spring training. 
When we return, part two of our feature interview with guest expert Lore Michaels. Stay right there, it's Baseball HQ Radio. As fantasy players, we all want to test our stuff against top flight competition. So this year, step into the big league batter's box by entering one of BaseballHQ.com's subscriber leagues. Once again this year, Baseball HQ is offering the chance to compete in sponsored leagues where you can throw down with the very best competition, your fellow HQ subscribers. There are leagues in all kinds of formats. There's AL only, NL only, and mixed leagues, both straight drafts and auctions. It's a tough test of your fantasy baseball acumen, and it's open only to BaseballHQ.com full season subscribers. League drafts start March the 9th and continue through the 18th. The signups are open right now. There are only 10 drafts, so spaces are limited, and signups will close as each league fills. Get on the site now and claim your place in the league of your choice. Get all the details at the Baseball HQ website. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. My pleasure to be joined once again by Lore Michaels, the Zen Master of Fantasy Sports from Creative Sports and Fantasy Sports Network Radio. Lore, you ready to get back out on the field? I think so. Well, in addition to all your other activities in fantasy baseball, you have also started co-hosting the weekly Tout Wars Hour, as I mentioned, on Fantasy Sports Radio Network with Justin Mason every Sunday from 2 to 4 in the afternoon. How'd you get the gig? Uh, I, I, I sort of fell into it a little bit. <coughs> um, it, it all came that, um, and actually Todd, Todd Zola had been talking with, um, had been trying to work out a Tout Wars podcast for um, a, a couple of years and he, we had been talking with uh, the Fantasy Network about doing that, or he had. And at the time, Todd wasn't a board member of Tout, and I was. So it kind of got referred to us to handle, and I just sort of started pursuing it. And Mike Cardano, who the uh, program director for Fantasy, just said, why don't you, do, you know, don't do a podcast. Why don't you just do a live show? I'd love to have you do a live show. And Todd couldn't couldn't do it. It wasn't available. I didn't have the same availability, so it just kind of fell to me, and I decided I did not, if I was going to have somebody as a co-host, I did not want, I wanted to have somebody younger uh, and somebody that, that, that that's playing the game as the next generation, and, and and I'd known Justin for a couple of years. I, I know his site. Uh, I've played in leagues with him, and I just thought he would be a good foil for me. And he is younger. I think I'm 30 years older than he is, so mm-hmm. that, that counts for something. Uh, anyway, it just kind of happened. I, I'm, I'm not really sure, but I like it. It's really a lot of fun. Uh, I, really, I really enjoy it. Uh, and I, I, it didn't, I know I can talk, but it didn't occur to me I'd be good at it. You get all kinds of interesting guests so far. How do you choose your guests? Um, well, I'm trying, I'm trying to make the show a little bit different. I'm try- I mean, I want to be a smart show that, that helps people, but I also don't want to be so smart that, you know, I, I mean, I like if you're new to fantasy baseball and you want to learn tactics, we certainly cover things like that. But I like having Rick Wolf on to talk about not just his teams and how he plays, but talk about the early days of the game. Or uh, like uh, I had, I did an interview at the uh, at spring training with Matt Chisholm, who's the media director of the Giants, and he play, he doesn't play fantasy baseball anymore, but he plays fantasy football. But so he could talk about his teams, but also he impacts covers the game in a way that most fantasy people never think about. Or and and 
you know, I, I think it's interesting to try to uh, uh, show different sides of the game that we all love because we don't just love fantasy ball, we love baseball. So I think it's fun to have guests on who not only touch the industry on the field in a way that's interesting or informative uh, for all of us, but then I always spend time talking about their teams and, you know, did, did you get jacked by Brad Fulmer three years ago like everybody else and so on. So, you know, when it boils right down to it, they're, they're just like we are. They play the game. They, you know, when, 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 when uh, Aaron Nola is on the mound and he's on their team, they still die when he gives up a grand slam. So I, I think it's, it, it, it all binds us, and I, like, I kind of like trying to exploit that and, and, and talk, about, talk about, you know, what the game really means to all of us because, that, let's face it, that's why we play. You'll be hosting the show from Tout Wars uh, on that Sunday. I think it's the seventeenth uh, or eighteenth of March. What's the plan for that show? I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't. I, I, you know, I haven't. I haven't thought about it other than I get. I get I'm excited because I get to do it in the studio instead of remotely, which is fun. I'm guessing we'll have a bunch of the touts on. Uh, I'm guessing we'll probably suggest it, and I'll probably sit around with 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 Kreutzer and with with Chandler. Um, and, and, and with some of the principles of the league, just, just talking about drafts and answering questions as necessary or just, you know, um, I, I think it'll be fairly informal. Uh, I think it will be a lot of fun um, because we all have lots of stories and we all have, we all have our loves and our hate. Well, it's a terrific show. I, I should point out that you don't have to listen to it live. The shows are available as podcasts, and you can go to fantasysportsnetwork.com and listen to them as streaming audio. So you have lots of ways to listen to uh, Lore and Justin on the Tout Wars Hour on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Uh, finally, Lore, as you know, during the draft period, I like to ask our expert guests to talk about players they like for 2018, and maybe some they don't. As promised, uh, I've changed the name from Grabbers and Slabbers, which nobody liked to Scott Pianowski, and I'm going to give a HQ Radio thank you to a guy who calls himself Totemusopoulos. He's one of my 1,100 or so Twitter followers, and he had some really great suggestions, and one of them that I really liked was Boons and Banes. So, Laura, we're going to get some of your Boons and Banes for the coming season. Let's start with the Boons. These are players you think should interest our listeners and don't necessarily have to wear uh, um, coonskin caps. <laughs> I was thinking it, it sounds either like actually it sounds like a company that, that that produces shortbread. I can I can just see the sort of tartan package around a bunch of little square cookies called Boons and Banes for some reason. I don't know why. All right, Laura, uh, let's start with your Boons players you think should interest our listeners this year. Let's start in the American League with an Boon Ale hitter. Well, I I, I kind of tried to go young with all these guys and and a little bit under the radar, but I'm I'm really liking Willie Calhoun. I it's just what's what's there not to like on him? He's on the Rangers. Uh, he's got power. He's got really good strike zone judgment, and I just think he's going to be a fun guy. I do too, and I was hoping he'd sneak through, uh, and I don't think he's going to. I've saw I've seen him going in the high teens and dollars in some experts' drafts, and much higher in in uh, in straight drafts than I would have thought. Uh, in the National League, who's a hitter you think will be a boon? Well, it's uh, we've talked about him, and 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 again, I uh, this is my thought that even though. 
you don't want to take, he's, he's got a small sample, but it, it's sort of like Willie's counterpart, and that's Reese Hoskins. Um, and, and if you look at their minor league numbers last year, and this is the thing I love so much about baseball, if you look at both their minor league numbers, they are the two closest comparables to one another, and, which is amazing, you know, as far as uh, strike zone balls, uh, strikeouts to walks on base percentage, OPS and stuff, they're, they're really, really similar. What is really intrigues me about them is they couldn't be more different physically <laughs> and that's something that's really beautiful about baseball they think they, they, they that they're so alike and yet so different in the american league let's go to the mound and a pitcher who you think will be a boon to squads in 2018 uh we've already talked about him i think daniel mangan's going to kind of come out of nowhere and be sort of a brett saberhagen like uh like guy i think i think he's going to open some eyebrows i hope he opens some eyebrows i own enough shares of them and in the National League, who's a pitcher you think will be a boon? There's, there's a couple of guys I really like a lot. The, the real young guy uh, I, I'm keeping an eye on is uh, the Dodgers' Walker Bueller. Uh, but I'm also, and I had a really nice talk with him the other day in Colorado, but John Gray, um, I, think, I think John Gray is going to be able to do 180, 190 innings if he could stay healthy. And I, I, I think he's, uh, he's going to have a bust out. I think he's going to be really, really good. Lore Michaels, Boons in the American League, hitter Willie Calhoun of Texas, and in the National League, Reese Hoskins of Philadelphia, his pitchers Daniel Mengden of Oakland, and Walker Bueller and John Gray from the Dodgers and Colorado, respectively. Let's move over to the Baines. Now, Lore, these are guys about whom you think listeners should be cautious or downright uh, scared. Let's start again in the American League. Who's a hitter you think is going to be a Bane on his uh, squad? Carlos Gomez. I just think he's had it. <laughs> Sorry. I never thought he was as good as he was before he got good. I think he's he I think he has has hit the George Bell wall of I'm not really worth anything anymore. And in the National League, who's a hitter that's a bane for 2018? This is a real tough one because I spoke to him also at spring training last week and I really really like him a lot, but Chris Taylor adjusted to to the pitchers last year and he he did a good job. He he, you know, changed his swing, changed his timing, uh, did a lot of work on it. But uh, you know, it's it's this playing baseball is a cat and mouse game between pitchers and hitters about who controls the zone. He won last year. I think pitchers are going to figure out and exploit him this year and make things tough for him. Going up to the mound again in the American League, who's a pitcher you think is going to be a bane on his squads? Well, I don't know if he even counts because he would only be drafted in deep leagues. But Andrew Kashner. Uh, I, I scare, I, and I picked him up as a reserve pick in in labor because I'm afraid Alex Cobb. I, I need to cover my Alex Cobb bet. But Andrew Castor has literally gone from being a flamethrower to Jamie Moyer, and that's a real tough. It's, it's you know I think he threw 120 innings last year and struck out 85 guys, which is nothing considering he used to strike out. It used to be the reverse. Uh, and I also fear Irvin, Irvin Santana seems to have a good year, a bad year, a good year, a bad year, and, and he, he's making me a little nervous. I like Irvin Santana, but uh, Andrew Kashner, I'm with you on that. Uh, and finally, a National League pitcher who could be a bane? Uh, again, I got a couple of them. I, 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 somehow or other, I never really believe Jeff Samarjda is as good as he is. He is in, I think, a contract year, but... I you know he had a lot of strikeouts last year and he had a good whip but he couldn't he couldn't couple it with his ERA and I think I think the strikeouts and the whips uh, get to be deceiving um, and and I'm also a little nervous about Michael Waka as well. Lore Michaels, Baines, Carlos Gomez, Chris Taylor, Andrew Kashner, Irvin Santana, 
Jeff Samarja and Michael Waka. Laura, this has been a treat as always. Uh, tell our listeners where they can keep up with Laura Michaels. Well, you can always find me pretty much every day at www.creativesports.com. Uh, on Mondays uh, in the USA Today, I'm writing Sizzle Fizzle to ideally help point to guys who are getting more playing time and hot and who you might want to consider jettisoning. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Tout Wars Hour uh, from 11 to 1 Pacific, 2 to 4 Eastern every Sunday at the Fantasy Sports Network, uh, which www.fntsy.com. You can stream it free uh, live off of your laptop, off of your iPhone, via iHeartRadio. We have an iPhone app even. So, and, and as you indicated, the, all the shows are, are, are downloaded as pods, so you can listen to them after the fact, too. Um, so I think those are most of them. Well, it's uh, it's certainly a, a good roster of ways to keep up with Laura Michaels and well worth doing. Laura, thanks for helping us out. We'll see you in New York. You betcha. I'm looking forward to it, Patrick. The Zen master of fantasy sports, Laura Michaels, writes about fantasy baseball and fantasy golf, if you're into it, and it's actually pretty interesting. At Creative Sports, he has that weekly audio show every Sunday afternoon, the Tout Wars Hour on Fantasy Sports Radio Network USA Today. Lord Michaels, he's everywhere, he's everywhere. Make sure you keep up with him. Uh, next up, our regular weekly talk with Todd. We have Todd Zola coming up and Master Notes. The fun never ends here at Baseball HQ Radio. There's a long drive way back in center field. Way back, back it is. Second Dolby is able to go to third. Willie Mays just brought this crowd to his feet with a catch. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly talk with Todd, and I'm happy once again to say to Todd Zola, welcome back to the show. Really good to be back with you, Patrick. Uh, everybody knows you as a uh, guy who's stock and trade really is uh, figuring out valuations of players and of course valuate, valuing players depends a lot on how players are used in the big leagues and we've heard some news this week that I thought might be interesting for us to talk about. The Tampa Bay Rays have announced that they're going to go with a sort of unique proposition as far as their starting pitching rotation is concerned. Four regular starters taking their turns and then whenever there's a need for a fifth starter they're just going to throw a bunch of relievers at them one time through the batting order for each each of these relievers until they get through the game. First of all, what do you think of the idea? You know, I don't know. Some of these things are born out of desperation. Brett Honeywell wasn't going to be part of their plans this season, at least until later on, whereas Jose De Leon may have. So I think part of it is, is because of De Leon's out. They were going to do this through May regardless. And I think once De Leon got hurt, I think they're at least thinking about doing it further. Again, it's it's born out of desperation as opposed to I don't think it I don't think it makes sense logically to 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 make your pitchers better. Quite honestly, I think they should just buy you know sign Lance Lynn and go with a standard five man. But you know, like I, I like I say, I leave that stuff to our friend Joe Sheehan. But um, you know, it's it's uh, we'll see. As you know, the the schedule's extended. There's four extra off days, so that avails. A little bit more time. Now, I don't know if it makes the foreman harder or easier. I have to sort of think about it. I think uh, you, know, you have to, you know, skipping days. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's fewer need for a fifth starter. I suppose 
when there's four less uh, off days throughout the course of the season, not many more, fewer seven-day weeks. Well, seven-game weeks, I should say. So it'll be interesting. You know, we'll be curious to see if they carry it through the whole season. I mean, what if uh, what if they're one of their present pitchers were to get hurt? I mean, they're doing this with Nate Eovaldi. You know, is he guaranteed to make it through the season on every four days, even if he's only pitching three and two-thirds or four and a third? Well, you'd have to expect that they're hoping that their starters will go deeper into games than that. But uh, it does raise another issue is what happens when they don't. How many bullpen arms are they going to carry around to do this? Uh, interestingly enough, I had the same thought about the two additional off days this season. But there's a story about the about the uh, four-man rotation that the Rays are talking about at MLB.com. And they say despite the extra two days, there's still only exactly the same number of bullpen days as there would have been last year, 22. So that part of it doesn't seem to be an issue. But I, I'm just going to play the devil's advocate here for a second, Todd, and I'll, I'll throw this out there for your comment. Instead of adding a fifth starter and presuming they don't want to spend big money to get a Lance Lynn or a Jake Arrieta or somebody like that, they're, they're playing pretty tight on the uh, purse strings. Doesn't it make more sense, instead of starting a bad starter every fifth time when you need them, start these bullpen guys, let them pitch once through the lineup, and then replace them and try to get your nine innings out of four reasonably skilled guys instead of one pretty reasonably unskilled guy? I don't know. I Perhaps. I don't think they necessarily have to sign a Lance Lynn or a Jake Arrieta. There's still enough... Uh, they're still, I mean, they're, 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 they could sign a starter, the equivalent of their bullpen guys, I think. It's going to tax the bullpen. They're going to need, you know, they, they were the team, it's, it's kind of contra, uh, contradictory, you know, saying you want these starters to go further, because they were the ones last year that were coming out and saying they only want their starters to go two times through the, uh, they don't want to see the third time through the order, which was going to limit the number of innings. They've shown, their numbers show that uh, their pitcher's success rate drops the third time they see the order. So it's kind of hard to go deep into a game in that situation. So that's kind of a, you know, looking at, I'm not, not sure which way they're going to go with that. If they, it's, just, it's, do they extend their bullpen even further? It, it puts, you know, is Matt Andrees going to be one of the bullpen day guys, or since he's probably one of the better piggyback guys for a game that you're potentially winning is he going to be saved for one of those other four days so there's there's a lot going on there but I, I i think i don't like the idea of a bullpen day just because it taxes the entire bullpen you don't know what's going to happen i think you can still put out a even a even a bad fifth starter i'd rather do that keep the bullpen fresh because i think you're you're hurting your chances to win the other four games but of course it always depends upon who the players are who you know who the who the guys are? I just, you know, I just don't like the idea of kind of throwing in the towel every fifth day. And I'm not saying the bullpen can't win a few games, but I don't know. I just, I think it weakens the entire staff. Leaving that aside, let's suppose that somebody pulls it off because they have the right combination of talent okay. and and arms and stuff. Uh, as a player evaluator, how does this? Do you think? affect your ability to forecast player performance, especially given the uncertainty about how many innings each of these guys might get in under this new setup? What I have to do is determine the, uh, the probability of a win under five innings or five and a third or five and two thirds. You know, we have a, I know that HQ has sort has a, has a formula which they can use to, to project wins, but I think it assumes the pitcher, you know, doesn't get taken out early 
how, what, and, and I don't think it's a linear thing. I don't think the chances from five to five and a third to five and two thirds to six, you know, stay linear. So I don't think you can just extrapolate backwards. So that, that that'll be the main difference. And I guess we'll have to figure it over time. But if pitchers know they're only going to go two times through, if that's the case, I mean, we'll do the other end of it in a second. Then uh, as a do they do they go all out and and increase their skills for that period of time? You know, it remains to be seen. Yeah, I was wondering about the wins category in particular because it would, I think a lot would depend on do they throw the relievers out there in the same order every time? Because obviously if you if they do, you probably don't want to upgrade the wins total on the first two guys who go into this uh, four, four bullpen arm start. But the third and fourth guys might not be bad picks to if it's consistently the same guys the third and fourth time every time. There's where the vulture wins are going to start to accumulate. But uh, I presume that if I was trying to keep everybody happy in the bullpen, that I'd probably lean towards rotating them around and saying, you know, uh, this time through we'll start Smith and the next time through we'll start Jones and we'll we'll let each guy come in in the fifth inning one time through because we want to make sure everybody gets a chance at some stats. Yeah, I mean, in theory, if assuming assuming it's not five and fly, in which case the starting pitcher would be in place for the win if they come out at the four and a third or whatever, and, and now it's up to the scorekeeper to determine which pitcher was the, the best of the lot, uh, then then who knows. But I, I, I do think that they do – you at least want to have a set a set uh, for the first guy. He, you're, you're coming in, so if he was a former starter or, or, or whatever, he's able to get into a routine – where you know he he heats up and 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 is you know kind of time while well, the inning takes 20 minutes I know when to start my exercises or whatever if it's a reliever it just gets hot regularly then then I don't think it's an issue but if it's someone you know if if it is Matt Andres then he he's done both and we're talking Tampa here but he's done both starting and relieving so he's probably used to just getting up without having to go through his normal you know whatever routine he may have as a starter but it's one of those things you know we'll just have to. I don't want to equate it exactly to a park effect or a fence coming down, uh, lowering, but you know we just have to sort of think through what the game flow might be and adjust accordingly. Um, you know, as a, as a person drafting, they can uh, they can choose to avoid the situation, right? But those of us that have to sort of give the advice in the background have to have to make a decision. We don't have that easy way out. When Colorado tried the uh, the experiment that they tried with that two-pitcher kind of approach, which made a lot of sense, and uh, I happened to be talking to Jeff Erickson here on the show, and I asked him why he thought it didn't work, and he said they didn't have good enough pitchers. Yeah, it's Colorado too. But, yeah, I, I think that's part of the problem here is I don't, I don't think the pitchers are good enough, and if they are good enough, they're going to want more money. So, and I, and the other end of it is if a starter isn't going to go as deep into the game or however that works out, a starter's not going to want to come there. Are you going to be able to get free agents to go to, of course, if it's all 100, I was going to say 120, thinking four times 30. If it's all 30 teams doing it, the starter has no choice, right? Then it's, if everybody's doing it, it is what it is. But is our our team, if only 10 teams are doing it, are free agents going to want to go to those teams if they're deprived of a win or a complete game or or whatever else might be occurring. Well, maybe they maybe pitchers would want to go to those places if they thought I'm never going to catch on at a place that's using a standard five-man rotation because I can't throw that many innings in a game or in a in a season. But gosh, if there's a team out there that likes a guy who can bring it for, you know, 9 or 10 hitters and really be effective at that, then maybe it's a way for baseball 
owners and and front offices to look at the field of available pitching and say, what are we missing here as far as talent goes? A failed starter becomes a reliever, and I think that, I think we're already trying we're already seeing that. I uh, I think we're we're kind of we already have that model in place where a guy can't start, he becomes a reliever. Another aspect where I see an issue is we're assuming each of these relievers is able to make it through their inning or two or inning a third or three. What if the reliever doesn't have it? And they, you know, I guess if the reliever doesn't have it, that you know, the game's now out of hand, and you know, you bring a mop-up guy in. Yeah. But I think that's, you know, it, again, it's one of these the Yankees trying to manage that perfect bullpen last year. I think it's easy to do in a in a in a simulation league, but it was going to be hard to 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 manage all those guys in a real thing, just knowing what game situations would come up and keep everybody in. I got the impression from from reading about it that their plan was to go into the game saying. This guy's pitching first, this guy's pitching second, this guy's pitching third, and then I guess you'd have to change on the fly should one of them really blow up. But I, I don't think that was a situation where they were going to go in not knowing who was going to pitch until the very moment the decision had to be made. Right, right. And I think with, in this sort of situation, I think you have a designated mop-up guy, and I don't care, you know, it doesn't matter what game. You know, I think every team has that guy now where you're just going to absorb the innings, you're going to eat the innings, you know, you're not going to make the Hall of Fame, so if you have a 6 ARA at the end of the year, you're not going to get mad that you're not going to get inducted into the Hall of Fame in five years. We're paying you to pitch when we're losing. Oh, there's plenty of those guys. It's amazing <laughs> how much money you can make for being that guy, too. Yeah, it, I mean, a lot more than you'd be making, you know, not not being that guy. So turning it back to what we need to do for fantasy this year, how we're going to approach Tampa, to me, it, you got to drop Chris Archer down the ranks just a little bit but the the back end guys, Jake Faria and, and and some of those guys, I think, I don't know if I'm moving them that much, just because they're at the the point of a draft where, or paying the amount of money where they're kind of in that meh range anyway. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to discount them even more, because of it. So it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I think Archer's the one that everybody's curious about because with all those strikeouts, we all love our strikeouts. Will his, will his his market value change? Now that this has come out. And before I let you go, Todd, I'm wondering about the situation in Texas. They announced they were planning on using a six-man rotation to try to save wear and tear on their starters' arms. I'm not, again, I'm not sure exactly who the six guys were going to be. But Cole Hamels apparently went to the media and said this is a bad idea. And the team immediately acquiesced and said, okay, we won't do it. And I'm wondering what you thought about the idea of Cole Hamels, who pitched 148 innings last year to a 420 ERA and he's 33 years old calling the shots in Texas as far as how pitching goes. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just again Texas is one of those teams where they were they instead of signing, you know, a really good guy, I mean Mike Miner, we could argue if he's gonna make the transition, they're trying to convert Matt Bush. You're right. They signed a bunch of meh arms to try to to try to fill out the rotation. I don't know. If they really to me if Texas really wanted to do it, can't you say Cole will leave you every five days, but we're gonna maneuver with the other spots in the rotation. So you're going to get your start every fifth day. And and to me, it kind of sounds like, well, first of all, they didn't have the guts to tell Hamels, no, we're doing it this way. But I don't think they were that committed to the plan if they didn't try to figure out a way to work around it. I think you make an excellent point about the idea that if you had a dominant starter like, uh, well, not Cole Hamels anymore, but if you had a Max Scherzer in your rotation or a Corey Kluber or, or one of those kind, Anybody, of, yeah, yeah. any kind of top starter, you could say, look, 
this particular guy is so good and so proven at doing this every five days that we're just going to let him keep doing it every five days. It's the rest of the guys that we're going to manage in a different fashion. And I think sometimes baseball, like all sports, like all activities really, gets a little hidebound in this is how we've always done it, therefore it must be the best way to do it. And and I think especially over the last few years, we've seen teams figure out that there are better ways of doing things that do defy the tradition, and maybe this is one of them. Yeah, now that if if we, if we had started the conversation with that, um, yeah, I that I that I can see, especially be, I don't again with the off days if it hurts or helps, I think you'd only be you know you'd take a Matt Bush or someone like that that's just converting to starting and maybe he would be one that skipped and he becomes a reliever, you know we're not going to start you this this cycle you're now the you're now one of our relievers this cycle and we'll get you back to starting again next time and the next time through they they do that to Mike Miner. You're we're going to you're not going to start this you know because you got to do something cute to make the five man or five six man work with one guy staying every fifth day because it messes up the the sink. So I think I could see that. And finally, uh, given all of the uncertainty that all surrounds pitchers already as far as fantasy is concerned, when you're drafting when you look at teams who are thinking about doing these unusual, untraditional things, does it mean, is it a reason not to not to cast a bid on a, on a particular pitcher or not to use a fairly high draft pick on a particular pitcher just because of the uncertainty, or are you still willing to say, in the long run, they'll get their 32 starts, I'll, t- I'll take Chris Archer no matter what? He's such a tough one in general, just you know, looking at him as the individual, the way he's outpitched his peripherals, and is he really... Is he, you know, he, to me, you know, I think we both feel his ERA should be under three, and it's just, you know, dumb luck timing that it isn't the past couple of years. So he's kind of, of a weird case anyway. But, you know, avoiding Texas, I'm not avoiding Garrett Richards. I'm not avoiding. Um, I'm actually taking the discount on the Angels pitchers, and it's it's built into the, you know, the six men's built into the reduced price. I'm actually accepting accepting that discount and 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 willing to take a a Richards or a Skaggs or uh, I'm not on Shoemaker so much, but some of the uh, you know Brid, Bridwell um, some of the you know because you're getting a nice discount, you don't have to make a a high draft pick or a multi a double digit uh, bid in an auction. I think that's exactly right, and in a certain way, when I look look at a guy like Garrett Richards in particular, or Skaggs that have had injury troubles in the past, I look at it and I think, you know, if they figure out a way to get these guys out there for 140 innings, but they get the 140 innings and I can count on it, I think that's a step forward for guys like that as far as their fantasy value, because anything that reduces their injury risk is really important for guys like that. If it was some other guy that I'm counting on for 200 innings and he only gives me 140, well, that's a problem. But as long as I know I only need 140, I'm way happier getting the 140 than them trying to throw him out there and getting him hurt and I get 85. Exactly. And another reason why I'm not so down on taking a guy in a six-man rotation is the number of two-start weeks is going to be reduced anyway. So you can't even say, well, I'm not going to get those two start weeks out of Richards because they're just not going to be all that important. And, and someone can argue, well, those that do occur are going to be that much more important. And they and they very well may be. But I don't think it's I don't think you're going to discount them because, you know, I'm going to get few, if any, two start weeks out of any Angels pitchers. It's just that that's the way it is. In the in the league now, in the game now, split with those extra with the extra four off days, so you know we're, you're talking three, four, five opportunities to use the guys for two starts. I'll figure out something else that week. 
And, of course, it only matters in leagues where you make those kind of decisions. A lot of leagues you don't. Uh, Todd, yeah. w- one thing about uh, these uh, newfangled pitching ideas and rotation ideas is whether they work, whether they don't, it gives us something to talk about. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll catch up with you again next week. Absolutely. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire, and appears here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I want to talk about pro hitters for 2018. Last week, we looked at 2017's pitchers using the percentage ratio outcomes system I devised last season. The acronym for that is PRO. Pretty cool, hey? This week, we turn to the hitters, whose pro metric starts by calculating the percentage of their plate appearances that resulted in these positive outcomes. Hard hit grounders and fly balls, all line drives, walks, and hit by pitch. Also, these negative outcomes, soft and medium hit grounders and fly balls, infield pop-ups, and strikeouts. The sum of the negative percentage outcomes is taken away from the sum of the positive percentage outcomes to arrive at the net pro. And again, a reminder, don't lean too heavily on pro or any other single metric when you're doing your player assessments. Just to set levels, top hitters have net pros right around zero. Hitting is hard. Joey Votto led MLB last year at plus 8% net pro. The average MLB hitter, think Andrelton Simmons or Malky Cabrera, is around minus 22%, while the worst hitters are down below minus 40%. And here we're looking at guys like Adam Rosales, Michael Saunders, and Adam Engel, who brought up the distant rear at minus 48%. Let's get started with some boons. Reese Hoskins, the first baseman outfielder in Philadelphia, started his career with a bang last year, and the pro metric makes him full value for his excellent production. Hoskins was in the best 10% of avoiding soft-hit ground balls and fly balls, and among the best at generating hard-hit fly balls. That's good news for extra base hits and home runs, as well as walks. His net pro was right at 0%, meaning he generated as many good outcomes as bad ones, and that is tremendous performance. A lot of touts are trumpeting the virtues of Nick Castellanos, third baseman outfielder in Detroit, and Pro agrees. Castellanos had an exceptional 2% soft hit fly ball percentage and no infield flies. On the positive side, Castellano was best 10% in hard hit ground balls and fly balls, as well as line drives. Could be a big season coming for Nick Castellanos. Aaron Judge is one of 2018's most interesting calls, and Pro shows why. The Yankees outfielder was excellent last year at avoiding negative outcomes, finishing best 10% in soft-hit ground balls and fly balls, as well as medium-hit fly balls. When he put it in the air, he put a charge into it, as you probably knew. On the positive side, he was also best 10% in walk rate. But there is the warning sign. He was worse 10% in strikeout rate at 31%. That's 10 points worse than the league average. And his line drive percentage was just 11%, three points under league average. How Judge goes in 2018 might well depend on those percentages. And don't sleep on Shinsu Chu. The Texas outfielder is not best 10 in any of the positive outcomes, but he's average or better in all of them except hard-hit fly balls, where he's very close. Where Chu shines is in avoiding the negative outcomes. He's best 10 in avoiding soft-hit fly balls, medium-hit fly balls, and infield flies. 
Perceived injury and playing time risk might temper bidding on Shin Su Chu to your benefit if you feel like he will get the 600-plus plate appearances that he's had in two of the last three seasons, including 2017. Now let's look at some Baines. Our recurring topic in Tautum is whether or how to handle Billy Hamilton, the Cincinnati outfielder, in trying to gather up stolen bases. Pro says you might be better off letting someone else roster the Speedy Red, who manages the neat trick of finishing in the worst 10% of overall net pro while finishing bottom 10% in only two of its categories, hard-hit grounders and hard-hit flyballs, where his matching 3% levels are way under league norms. He just doesn't hit the ball hard. Add in a league average 21% K rate and subpar 7% walk rate, and Pro says Billy Hamilton struggles to reach base and exploit his wheels? They're for real. And Yankees shortstop Didi Gregorius had a solid year in 2017 and found his way nearly into the top 100 ADP this year. But despite his gaudy stats, 25 homers, 87 RBIs, 3 bags, a 287 average, and 73 runs, Gregorius was actually worst 10% in negative outcomes, most notably a league-worst 18% medium-hit flyball rate. That means Didi produced more cans of corn than the Jolly Green Giant. Add in worst 10% scores in walk rate and soft-hit flyball rate and infield fly rate, and it was only his fine 12% K rate that kept him from appearing at or near the very bottom of net pro. As it is, Gregorius was at minus 34%, just one tick above the threshold for the worst 10% overall, keeping company with such bats as Elias Diaz, Cliff Pennington, and J.J. Hardy. The strength of pro is that it looks at the outcomes these hitters are generating, not in hits and home runs, but in the aspects over which they exert real control. As well, because we use plate appearances as the denominator of pro, we get a fairly large sample to work with even in a single season. All the players on the list that I'm talking about here today had at least 200 plate appearances in 2017. Good outcomes should lead to good results, and that's the way we should bet it. And that said, make sure to diligently do due diligence. Stolen base ability does not turn up in the pro metric or its components, and that can distort a base runner's true fantasy value. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Thursday in the weekly free e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Thursday, March the 8th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number four of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Thursday edition of the show, Lore Michaels, the Fantasy Zen Master from Creative Sports and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Lore is one of the genuine legends of fantasy baseball, and he's also a great guy, and I really enjoy talking to him as I did this week. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, don't you know? Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. The Minor League Minute was presented by Minor League's analyst Rob Gordon. Our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky, and our position previews were presented by analyst Greg Fishwick. Thanks as well to Todd Zola, our regular guest, on our weekly Talk with Todd segment. I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. 
I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes, add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Thursday with another edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.